What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that I've thought many, many times of having the whole story come out and going all the way down the rabbit hole with you guys. But there are so many rabbit holes surrounding 9-11 that I've decided I'm going to start you guys off on the tip of the icebergs for several of the different 9-11 conspiracy theories that are floating around in the conspiracy corners of the internet. So sit back and get ready for this. Now before we just jump head in to the 9-11 conspiracies, I'm going to take you guys back to 1962 and Operation Northwoods. So this was supposed to be a false flag operation against American citizens that originated within the U.S. Department of Defense of the United States government. The proposals called for CIA operatives to both stage and actually commit acts of violent terrorism against American military and civilian targets, then blaming them on the Cuban government and using it to justify a war against Cuba. The possibilities detailed in the document included the remote control of civilian aircraft, which would be secretly a repainted U.S. Air Force plane, the possible assassination of Cuban immigrants, sinking boats of Cuban refugees on the high seas, blowing up a U.S. ship, and orchestrating terrorism in U.S. cities. The attacks on Americans were not supposed to be violent, while the attacks on Cuban refugee boats were supposed to be real or simulated, with the maximum extent of wounding them for media publicity. The proposals were ultimately rejected by John F. Kennedy. You know, the guy who got his head blown off. So, right here, Operation Northwoods is not in conspiracy land. This is the actual thing that happened. You can read the documents. So if in 1962, we have these psychopaths within our government coming up with plans to basically attack Americans to piss us off to the point where we would support some crazy ass war with Cuba. Sounding familiar yet? Hmm. So now that you guys have that in your head, let's fast forward to September 2000. So one full-ass year before September 11th happened, the Project for a New American Century, which had members such as Dick Cheney, Gary Bauer, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, Scooter Libby, Steve Forbes, and Jeb Bush. So these billionaires are getting together and they put out a report entitled Rebuilding America's Defenses, Strategy, Forces, and Resources for a New Century, August 2000. Now, this is a 90-page report, so I'm just going to read you excerpts of it, and I'll also link the document in the show notes if you want to see what these psychopaths were planning way back in September 2000. The report contains ambivalent language towards bioterrorism and genetic warfare. Quote, new methods of attack electronic, non-lethal, biological, will be more widely available. Combat likely will take place in new dimensions, in space, cyberspace, and perhaps the world of microbes. Advanced forms of biological warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool. 
Development of worldwide command and control systems should be made to contain dangerous regimes like North Korea, Libya, Syria, and Iran. Huh. I think two of those places are kind of in fucking ruins right now. If you turn to page 60 in this report, you can read about how they say space itself will become a theater of war as nations gain access to space capabilities and come to rely on them. Further, the distinction between military and commercial space systems, combatants and non-combatants, will become blurred. Information systems will become an important focus of attack, particularly for U.S. enemies seeking to short-circuit sophisticated American forces and advanced forms of biological warfare that can target specific genotypes, i.e. fucking different races. Now they go on to say this is just a glimpse in the possibility of the fucking terror and misery we can strike down on the world. In this document, they specifically say they need to have a new Pearl Harbor. And that was exactly one year before 9-11. And like I just read you, they're also talking about a space force. So the whole space force thing was around before Trump even came here and now I guess has the credit for it. So now that we've covered just prior to September 11th happening, let's come up to the day, the morning of September 11th, and let me tell you about some people that were supposed to be in those buildings, but lucky for them, they were told not to go or they quote unquote became sick, and it's kind of a who's who's list. So let's start with our favorite supervillain, Klaus Schwab. Now this is a quote directly from this piece of shit's mouth. Quote, that next morning, September 11th, I was planning to attend a meeting with newspaper editors directly across from the Twin Towers. For sheer coincidence, the meeting was rescheduled and I was on my way to the Upper East Side instead. There were a number of business leaders who would normally have been in the World Trade Center, but instead at a meeting hosted by Warren Buffett on September 11th at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska. That group included Ann Tatlock, CEO of Fiduciary Trust, a company that occupied five floors on or above the 90th floor. San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown admitted to have receiving a warning from what he described as his airport security late Monday evening, just before the attack. Salman Rushdie, who is under the contentious protection of Scotland Yard, was prevented from flying on September 11, 2001. Ariel Sharon who was scheduled to give an address to Israeli support groups in New York City on September 11th, canceled his plans the day before. Jim Pierce, cousin of President Bush, was scheduled to attend a conference on the 105th floor of the South Tower, where his company, New York offices, were based. But the conference was moved across the street to the Millennium Hotel, because as the story goes, the group was too large. A group of people that received warnings in advance of the attack were employees of Odigo, the instant messaging service. Two employees received an email message two hours before the World Trade Center assault, predicting the attack. We have Zim American Israeli Shipping Company broke a lease in order to vacate the World Trade Center just days before the attacks. Now this next motherfucker, Larry Silverstein, he just happened to not be there that morning like he was every other morning because he said his wife, quote, made a dermatologist appointment for him. 
both of his children had meetings that day in the World Trade Centers, and both had the meetings canceled. Now, let's just start in on Larry Silverstein for a second, because this motherfucker is dirty. Larry had offices at the World Trade Center. 196 out of the 200 employees that work in their offices every single day did not show up for work on 9-11. Now, if Larry's name sounds familiar, it's because he's the lucky motherfucker that bought a 99-year lease on the World Trade Center just weeks before the actual attack. He bought $3.5 billion in terrorist insurance just two months before the 9-11 attacks occurred. Now, this dirty motherfucker went on to claim that two attacks should make it so the insurance company has to pay double. Larry ended up making $4.5 billion by taking over 40 insurers to court and sticking them with this crazy double attack theory And somehow the courts bought it. The courts awarded this guy a ridiculous amount of money. Now, beyond the people that just luckily escaped, NORAD was running two drills on September 11th, Vigilant Guardian and Vigilant Warrior. These drills scrambled jets all over the country and all over the ocean and made it impossible for the pilots to intercept the hijacked jets in time once they were scrambled towards the hijacking. There's even a recording of one of the pilots trying to clarify, is this message real world or is this a simulation? That's how similar the simulation was. Two weeks before the towers went down, the bomb-sniffing dogs were removed. We also have the van that was pulled over trying to leave New York City and contained illegal explosives and a very suspicious occupants from Israel who were detained for 71 days And then the story completely disappeared, like it never happened. And of course, we can't forget World Trade Center 7, which was 47 stories tall. And it was not hit by the plane, but somehow it collapsed at a freefall acceleration for 2.25 seconds. Now, going back to high school physics, the definition of static equilibrium and conservation and momentum says it would be impossible for any structure to collapse at free-fall acceleration without explosives or pre-weakening the structure. But it was the, it was the fuel, guys. Now, I don't know if you guys knew about this, because I only knew about one station that fucked up like this, but BBC, Fox News, and CNN's all misread scripts on live TV, which announced the World Trade Center 7 collapsing hours before it did. That, to me, says, huh... They got their uh, pre-written script there. Well, I think one of the biggest things is literally the day before Rumsfeld mentioned a missing $2.3 trillion. And coincidentally, a plane impacted the Office of Naval Intelligence at the Pentagon, where the computers were kept, which stored that information. Over 100 budget analysts and accountants were killed, and a money trail was lost. And this was something I kind of just found out within my research the last few weeks. Scientists and physicists at BYU found a type of explosive in every dust sample tested, which was confirmed to be a type of thermite. Thermite produces liquid iron and is used to cut thick columns effectively and quietly. Now, a lot of people believe explosives were set up in the World Trade Center buildings in the two weeks leading up to the attack. 
the security for World Trade Center complex was required to provide unquestioned access to strategic areas of the buildings for purposes of rigging explosives in the period prior to the attacks. So after the 1993 attack, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey gave control of security at the World Trade Center to Kroll, Inc., a $2.5 million upgrade in a contract. Owners at the time were Jules Kroll and his son Jeremy. The managing director of Kroll at the time was Jerome M. Hauer, who ran Mayor Rudy Giuliani's Office of Emergency Management. He is a key individual that pushed for this office to be placed in Silverstein's World Trade Center Building 7. So what they're saying is the security company is who is responsible for placing the explosives. Then we have former special agent FBI John O'Neill, who had previously been tasked with investigating Bin Laden, was hired as head of security at the World Trade Center complex by Jerome Hauer. O'Neill was killed on his first day of work. O'Neill had quit his job at the FBI after investigation into the USS Cole attack in Yemen had been obstructed and sabotaged by the U.S. ambassador to Yemen, Barbara Bodine. The ship, if you guys can't remember, I kind of remember it because I was in fucking Italy when this all went down, but the ship was hit by an Israeli cruise missile to sway the public opinion against the Arabs, as well as to demonize the Democrats who were not taking threats of quote-unquote terrorism seriously. One of the many conspiracy theories states the Israeli deep state was all mixed up in the attack. So I'm about to go over some of the quote-unquote evidence people have dug up showing Israel had their hands in this. Now, it's ridiculous I even have to say this, but this has nothing to do with being an anti-Semitic because I'm not an anti-Semitic person. This is just one of the conspiracy theories where a lot of evidence has been dug up over the years. So get your fucking panties out of a bunch. Now, like I said earlier, the messaging company Odigo was Israeli owned. They are the ones that got this warning message a couple hours before the attack. Shortly before September 11th, over 140 Israelis had been arrested for suspected espionage. Some of them were posing as art students. These suspects targeted or penetrated military bases, DEA, FBI, Secret Service, ATF, U.S. Customs, IRS, INS, EPA, Interior Department, U.S. Marshal Service, and various U.S. Attorney's Offices. Dozens of Israelis were arrested in American mall kiosks selling toys, acting as a front for a spying operation. Sixty detained suspects worked for the Israeli company Amdocs, A-M-D-O-C-S, which provides most directory assistance calls and most call recording and billing services for the U.S. by virtue of its contract with the 25 largest telephone companies in the United States. Now, I'm sure everybody's heard of the quote-unquote five dancing Israelis. So let's get a little background on that whole situation. Now, of the 90 or so detained Israelis, there was a group of five. Sivian Kurzberg, Paul Kurzberg, Yaron Shamal, Oded Eleanor, and Omar Mamari, after they were spotted in multiple locations filming and celebrating the attacks. The men were detained by the New York Police Department. The police and FBI field agents found maps of the city with certain places highlighted, box cutters, 
which, you know, same items that the hijackers supposedly used, $4,700 in cash stuffed in their socks and foreign passports. Police also told a New Jersey local paper, the Bergen Record, that bomb-sniffing dogs were brought to the van and they reacted as if they had smelled explosives. According to the Jewish Daily Forward, the FBI later determined that at least two of the Israelis were Mossad agents and their employer, Urban Moving Systems, who was a Mossad front. According to an ABC News 2020 report, after these five Israelis were detained, the driver of the van, Sivian Kurzberg, told the officers, We are Israeli. We are not your problem. Your problems are our problems. The Palestinians are the problem. They all later appeared on an Israeli talk show and claimed that they were in New York City that morning to document the event. Witnesses had reported that they had set cameras up prior to the first plane strike and were seen congratulating one another. The five dancing Israelis were also seen photographing one another. The FBI seized and developed their photos, one of which shows Sivian Kurtzberg flicking a cigarette lighter in front of the smoldering ruins in an apparent celebratory gesture. This is one that I had no idea about. I literally just found this out during my most recent research for this episode. And it's of the mural van. Now, this is one of the more strange events of the day. And it came in the form of a mysterious white van parked a few blocks away from the Twin Towers on 6th and King Street. It literally had a mural painted on the side that depicted a jetliner crashing into the Twin Towers and exploding. Now, there are police audio transmissions that indicate that the two suspects in the van started to run away when the van was stopped, and they were apprehended shortly thereafter in some sort of struggle. The police recording also indicate that the mural van subject to a controlled explosion following the detainment of the two suspects. Now, there's further corroboration of this event from a reference in the Norman Y. Mineta International Institute for Surface Transportation Policy Studies, entitled Saving City Lifelines, Lessons Learned in the 9-11 Terrorist Attack. Now, this is a quote from that report, quote, there were continuing moments of alarm. A panel truck with a painting of a plane flying into the World Trade Center was stopped near the temporary command post. It proved to be a rented group of ethnic Middle Eastern people who did not speak English. Fearing that it might be a truck bomb, the New York PD immediately evacuated the area, called out the bomb squad, and detained the occupants until a thorough search was made. The vehicle was found to be an innocent delivery truck. Now, many believe the report is just a whitewashed but nonetheless credible evidence of the existence of the mural painted van. Apparently, the people who wrote this didn't find it odd that a delivery truck rented to, quote, ethnic Middle Easterns was painted up with the mural depicting the very events of the day. You can hear the police transmission speak of an explosion, yet this report doesn't even mention it. It's safe to assume the ethnic Middle Easterners referenced in the quote were not Arabs because no shit if they were, it would have been all over front page news, CNN, all that. The incident was not mentioned in any official government reports. Official handling of the incident provides strong indication that these quote ethnic Middle Easterners 
were in fact Israelis. One of the really strange things is that the chief judges involved in nearly all the cases of the World Trade Center, be it litigation with Silverstein or the non-investigation into what happened, were all Jewish. A very interesting fact is that Philip Zelikow was the person responsible for concocting the contrived fiction that was presented as the 9-11 Commission report official narrative. The report contains hundreds of glaring anomalies, contradictions, omissions, and downright falsehoods. It even manages to omit any reference at all to the collapse of Building 7 at 5.20 p.m. Zilko also happened to be a Bush administration insider, having been on the transition team in early 2000. In 1989 through 91, Zelka worked with Condoleezza Rice on the National Security Council for George H.W. Bush. I mean, him and Rice even wrote a fucking book together. Now, people wonder, why would the Jewish deep state want to get all involved in this? And the answer to that was they wanted American support against the Palestinian state. And if the American people and some of the American government believed Arabs were the problem, this would be the perfect lightning rod to get more American dollars and military equipment and support. Now, one of the theories is the suspected insider trading. And the conspiracy theories maintain that just before 9-11, an extraordinary amount of put options were placed on United Airlines and American Airlines stocks and speculate insiders must have known in advance of the coming events of September 11th and place their bets accordingly. An analysis into the possibility of insider trading on 9-11 concludes, a measure of abnormal long put volume was also examined and seen to be at abnormally high levels in the days leading up to the attacks. Consequently, the paper concludes that there is evidence of an unusual option market activity in the days leading up to September 11th. So check this out. On September 10th, Trading in Chicago saw the purchase of 4,516 put options in American Airlines, the other airline involved in the hijacking, with the mere 748 call options in American purchase that day. No other airline companies had unusual put-to-call ratio in the days leading up to the attacks. The 9-11 commission I was just talking about a little earlier, they concluded that all of these abnormal patterns in trading we're just coinkydinks. More coinkydinks. And the airlines weren't the only businesses affected of the abnormal trading. Insurance companies saw anomalous trading activity as well. Citigroup, which estimated that its traveler's insurance unit could pay $500 million in claims from the World Trade Center attack, had about 45 times the normal volume during the three trading days prior to the attack, or options that profit if the stock falls below $40. Citigroup shares fell $1.25 in late trading to $38.09. I mean, they weren't the only one. Morgan Stanley had strange calls made. Raytheon, which is a defense contractor, had an anomalously high number of call options trading on September 10th. A Raytheon option that makes money if shares are more than $25 each had 232 options contracts traded on the day before the attack, which is six times the total number of trades that had occurred before that day. Now, even the Securities and Exchange Commission launched an insider trading investigation in which Osama bin Laden was a suspect after receiving information from at least one Wall Street firm. 
9-11 Commission report concluded that exhaustive investigations by the SEC, FBI, and other agencies have uncovered no evidence that anyone with advanced knowledge of the attacks profited through securities transactions. Yep, all those companies, all that stuff, it was just one big old coinkydink that made a lot of people very fucking rich. Now, so far, I have just talked about specifically the World Trade Center attacks, but we definitely have to touch on the Pentagon attack. A lot of people that claim American Airlines Flight 77 did not crash into the Pentagon. Instead, they argue that the Pentagon was hit by a missile launched by elements from inside the U.S. government. Some people claim that the holes in the Pentagon walls were far too small to have been made by a Boeing 757. How does a plane 125 feet wide, 155 feet long, fit into a hole which is only 60 foot across? Now to this day, there is still no clear video evidence that shows a plane hitting the Pentagon. There is that one little clip that's been played 97,000 times. And it's such terrible quality that it could be anything from a missile to a fucking bird. You can't tell. It's like literally filmed on a potato camera. Now, if you go on to Wikipedia, they've got paragraphs and paragraphs trying to dispute literally all of these conspiracy theories. But if it's Wikipedia, it might as well be Snopes and you know it's a bunch of bullshit. And like I said earlier, the quote-unquote plane that hit the Pentagon just so happened to destroy the offices of where all the financial records were kept for the missing $2.3 trillion. Well, isn't that convenient? Now, last but not least, we have United Airlines Flight 93, which is said to have crashed in an open field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after the passengers revolted. You all remember the fucking tagline, let's roll. See, that plane was coming here to San Francisco, and there were people from all over the bay supposedly on this plane. One of the conspiracy theories surrounding this event is the claim that Flight 93 was shot down by a U.S. fighter jet. Now, according to David Ray Griffin, who is an American retired professor of philosophy of religion and theology and, quote, 9-11 conspiracy theorist, he says that the large parts of the plane, including the main body of the engine, landed miles away from the main wreckage site, too far away for an ordinary plane crash. Jones says the planes usually leave a small debris field when they crash, and that this is not compatible with reports of the wreckage found farther away from the main crash site. One person claimed that the main body of the engine was found miles away from the main wreckage site, with damage comparable to that which a heat-seeking missile would cause. Just a disclaimer, I'm not saying any of these theories I've talked about today are true or false. As usual, I'm just trying to present to you the different theories surrounding September 11th. And there are so many. And I literally, I'm just telling you the tips of the icebergs on them. So if you want more information, Dive in, dig in, go down the rabbit hole and do your own research. Because the more research you get into on this subject, the more heinous this whole situation becomes. I 100% think that 9-11 was an inside job. I think deep states from around the world all conspired to bring down the World Trade Center just so they could get some more military industrial complex dollars. 
Now, we have to get on to the subject of the passport of one of the hijackers that somehow survived the fucking World Trade Center collapsing, the other trades, just, you know, complete fucking insanity that destroyed the black box, that destroyed most other evidence. But somehow this passport survived and the FBI got their grubby little hands on it. Now, the FBI actually put the names and identities of, of who they believed to be the hijackers. It was discovered later that some of the people named were actually alive. And I don't know, FBI just quiet about it. It's like, oh, our mistake. We totally thought this guy was part of the fucking hijacking, but he's actually living in Syria right now. It's like, what the fuck? How do you do that? So now we move on to the Saudi involvement. Former Florida Senator Bob Graham, co-chairman of the Joint Inquiry, as well as other officials who did read the entire version of the Joint Inquiry's report, which is still partly classified to this day, believe there is a U.S. government's cover-up on the Saudi government's officials' substantial aid provided to the perpetrators of the 9-11 terrorist attack, notably the role of Fahad al-Thumari, a diplomat at the Saudi consulate in Los Angeles. And just a little side note on that, Somehow, on September 12th, when all planes were grounded, the FBI allowed the Bin Laden family to take a private jet out of the country. Hmm. Now, I think one of the interesting ways to look at this quote-unquote conspiracy theory is to go on Wikipedia and read that apologist ridiculous bullshit, and all of, like, they're saying, oh, that couldn't be it. This is just crazy conspiracy theory land. We'll start there on Wikipedia and then move over to Wiki Spooks about the World Trade Center attack or just September 11th attack in general. You're going to kind of see the two points of view, which is always good just to open your mind to the possibilities of anything. Because I wasn't there. Were you there? Did you fucking witness it? No. All I can do is read the evidence and theories of other people and try to make an informed decision at what sounds most likely. And like I just said, what sounds most likely to me is that 9-11 was an inside job perpetrated by many different countries' deep state operatives. I definitely think this is like one of the more interesting rabbit holes just because there are so many different ideas of what happened that day. And I don't think anybody will ever know 100% the truth, quote unquote, the truth. But if you read about it, do your own research You'll be so much more informed than the average fucking window licker who thinks everyone that's a conspiracy theorist is just an idiot and they're crazy. So yeah, fuck the window lickers. So you guys, that is about it for this week. Before I get out of here, I just have to say what's up to our top three downloading states, which is Illinois, Texas, and California. What's up, Texas? Happy to see you back in the top three and you too, California. Illinois, I appreciate it. You guys have been on top for a minute now. As far as our top international downloaders, we got Canada, the UK, Australia, and Denmark. What's up, Denmark? I actually like a band from there called King Diamond, aka Merciful Fate, so that's what's up. Brilliant music coming out of your country. So you guys, until next week, be aware, and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.